The ideology of borderlessness is one of the things that's driving the global economic machine. It's been good for economics, it's been good for production, but this kind of production is what is harmful to the planet. This is The Danish Debate, a podcast about Danish society and politics. I'm your host, Peter Stanners. In this third episode, ahead of the European Parliament election, I talked to Rasmus Munk Sunegård, a member of the Danish People's Party, who warns that a borderless Europe is the biggest threat to peace on the continent. But before we get started, I want to say thank you. The first five episodes have been listened to more than 2,000 times since I launched the podcast around one month ago. I received a, a lot of feedback, lots of it good, some of it critical, and it's all welcome. I promise to improve the quality of the recordings and diversify my guests. I spend a lot of time reaching out to people and getting calendars to align can sometimes be tricky. This podcast is entirely self-financed and put together in my spare time. And I do it because I'm really passionate about communicating what's going on in Danish politics to people who might otherwise have nowhere else to go. The simplest way to support the podcast is to subscribe, rate and share it. And the easiest way to make it better is to get in touch. Write to me and let me know if you have any topics or issues that you want me to cover. You can reach out over Twitter or Instagram. Just search for The Danish Debate. Or you can also write me, peter at mothertongue.dk. All these details will be in the show notes. Thanks again, um, and let's get back to the program. My name is Rasmus munk I'm a member of the Danish People's Party. I'm a educated jurist, and uh, I like politics. Thank you so much for taking the time, Rasmus. We're sitting in your in your backyard on a sort of balmy uh, May morning. The reason that we're talking is because I'm looking for a perspective, especially from the right wing, um, ahead of this European Parliament election. And I've gone through and I've read a lot of your opinion pieces and, and seen some of the activity that you've done, you have on the internet. I can see you write in an op-ed for informational newspaper that only respect for borders will keep peace in Europe. Why is it that you wrote that? One of the basic principles of international law is summarized in the legal phrase pacta sunt savanda. It means agreements must be kept. Basically, you can't have an agreement if you're not going to keep it. At the outset of entering into the EU uh, with the Schengen agreements, even with the Refugee Convention, specific guarantees were made to limit the uh, burdens accompanying migration, accompanying noble aspects of trying to help people fleeing persecution. These guarantees have not been respected. They have been overturned by ideologies of borderlessness that are now threatening the peace because of the resentment that naturally comes forth when people are not given what they're promised. I really think that it's important to to respect these conditions that were, that were made at the outset of these treaties. Also because people have cultures. We saw it in Catalonia where, pe- where people want to secede from the rest of Spain. We see it here in, in Denmark. There are differences between people. And people want to live with people they understand, people that, who understand their jokes. And as such, it's natural for people to divide themselves into specific uh, distinctions. And this is what borders respect. It's it's a natural thing for for humans to a way for humans to organize, and it's always been this way, and it will always be this way. So you're talking. I mean, I feel like there's two parts of that answer. The yeah. first part is migration from outside of Europe, and then there's also migration from from inside of Europe. Let's just take. Um, uh, let's just talk about migration from outside of Europe, illegal migration or irregular migration. Mm-hmm. Um, do you not think of that? We we obviously had a, a big influx of people in 2015, mm-hmm. the summer there. 
Um, since then, the numbers have come down dramatically. Uh, last look at the prime minister, he'd like to say that it's, you know, it's the government's policies that, have, that are responsible for this. But we could also say it's, it's the deals with Libya. It's the deals with Turkey that have radically... You're thinking of Huh? You're thinking of uh, the Salvini, Salvini government. Well, actually, last look also says, "Hey, the Danish, you know, the Danish government the has Danish come. Government, to, the Danish yes, government has yes. come into power, and we've we've you know we've we've cracked down on migration, and the numbers have, are really low." It's a complete lie. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. It's it's a complete lie. It's because of the the influx from the outside that has been diminished, yeah. but it's only been halved. Actually, yeah. I looked at the numbers uh, at at the peak. Uh, first time as- asylum seekers were about one million and two hundred thousand. Now it's about five hundred thousand or and and five hundred and eighty thousand. Okay. Do you not think the European Commission has done enough? I mean, given that the numbers have dropped by half in response to to to, to that influx, um, yeah. Do you not think it's been enough? Not at all. I looked at the numbers right now in two thousand and eighteen. About 80% of uh, first-time asylum seekers were denied. That means that 80% of the border crossings are illegal migrants, and there's still like uh, 40,000 of them coming into Italy alone. So, no, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue, and there's hu- there are huge numbers accumulated inside the EU that was supposed to be this fortress Europe, protected, a, a protected inner zone, And none of the legal uh, presuppositions uh, preceding these arrangements have been respected in this regard. So if we're going back to look at the internal borders, we have people coming across the border, coming across the Mediterranean, they enter into Europe, and because of Schengen, they can move freely. I can understand (laughs) this part of the problem that you'd see. However, if you look at the the enormous benefits that frictionless trade and not having to stop for customs and not having to stop to show our passports, and is it not the case that the more border controls, the more limitations and restrictions on internal movement we have within Europe, we we will naturally have to accept... uh, you know, limits to you know the, the benefits of trade and and social cohe other sorts of social cohesion. If we look at Northern Ireland, for example, yeah. the lack of a border there mm-hmm. has increased social cohesion. It's brought down conflict. I don't know the specific area as well as you do, obviously, but a, a consequence of of these uh, the lack of external checks is the rise of more internal checks. I don't know if you've seen it, but surrounding our our glorious uh, castle, Christiansborg, the seat of our parliament. There are now these balls, these spheres that are supposed to guard the, the, the palace square from, from terror attacks with using cars. We have huge, huge uh, expenses to try to control uh, the threat of terrorism that is heightened inside the EU. And... Uh, I don't know if there's been even a single terror attack in in Poland. I I don't think there's this there's no such thing as a free lunch they they say and and that goes with with borders as well I think. Mm. There's no such thing as as an a, a secure zone without expenses being or steps being taken to secure yourself. Of course you're right that the frictionless system has has been good for trade, but it's a specific kind of trade. It's specific kinds of economic arrangements that that are um, benefited more from from these kinds of things. For instance, production has been more centralized. It's it's harder for to be a smaller business because even the regulatory framework is centralized, and you need jurists like me to to uh, help you even compete on the market. I don't think this is good. I don't think it's good for the climate either. Mm. 
Mm. I don't think it's it's good for diversity and and for people to have freedom free from the economic machine, which just grows in power because of th- these uh, ideologies. So, so let me try and understand you correctly. Um, yeah. you're, you're talking about that the centralization of, of regulation in Brussels mm-hmm. has... Um, has ha- what's, what's, your, what's your criticism of that in relation to, to specific types of production? Like why surely having um, singular, a singular regulatory framework for all of Europe actually makes it easier if at all you want to, to trade across Europe? L- look at the GDPR. It's a huge huge network of, of legal work uh, just to try to contain the threat of, of uh, data accumulation from these huge tech giants, right? That's the, the main threat. But everyone is, is, is put under this framework. And they have even small political parties. They don't have the people needed to, to go through uh, this kind of regulation. It's made for tackling huge corporate structures. And they have teams of lawyers able to assist them in, in handling how to implement uh, these kinds of frameworks that are so overburdening on someone who, who has not had legal training, who's not equipped and, frankly, don't have time to uh, sifting through this yeah. amazingly complex piece of le- legislation. Yeah. And that's the problem with centralization in every regard. Every time you, you, you have centralization, you, you move the authority and the control away from people. Yeah. And that's a problem with the EU as well. Hi, I'm James Clasper, and I'm the host of Archipelago, a brand new podcast about arts, culture, and ideas in Denmark. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. We live in a time right now where what we need the most is nuances. And I think we're working against nuances in general in the well, in the world, the Western world and in media. And I think that what I'm trying to do with this is nuance it by just showing everyday life. Negative thoughts are the foundations for critique. And as adult human beings in a democratic society, we should be allowed to be critical of, well, basically whatever. I've had people quit jobs. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest doing this, but call off weddings because they said they needed that push. And I've never had anyone come back yet saying, hey, can I talk to you? You really screwed up my life with that whole follow the fear thing because that thing I called off, man, I should have done it. They're always like, I needed that extra push. A chair isn't going to necessarily change your life, but there is something really kind of nurturing about it, both physically but also aesthetically, which, you know, can make you feel quite good, actually. You can go into any gas station in Denmark these days and you can buy a skewer or you can buy seabuckthorn jam. Neither of those products would have been available without, without the influence of Noma. Well, I hope that whets your appetite and makes you want to tune in. To do so, simply search for Archipelago wherever you get your podcasts or visit archipelago.mothertongue.dk. I, I was very interested in the, in the Facebook post you put up where you, where you argue that some political parties are actually deceiving young people when it comes to, to climate change, almost as though they're, you know, as you say, they're pisking up a stemning um, mm. in, order to, yeah. in order to gain votes, um, whipping, up a, whipping up a mood. 
Um, I mean, don't you think it's a good thing that young people are politically active and interested in their future and interested in making sure that we, we have, that there's a climate for their children? It's great. It's obviously, but it's in a, in this this way. It is meant to maximize the signaling of virtue instead of tackling the issue. In my regard, uh, there's there's no there's no uh, attention to the fact that these emissions, global warming, is a global phenomenon, and we need to use trade systems to tackle how to deal with these things. Actually, the ideology of borderlessness is one of the things that's driving the global economic machine. As you mentioned earlier, it's been good for economics, it's been good for production, but this kind of production is what is harmful to the planet. So, so but to go, going back to the Danish politicians, I mean, what do you think they're doing wrong? They're like, they're, they're like if, if we just slash uh, emissions here in Denmark and become this global green superpower, they think. If we manifest our virtue in, in, in the green regard, then somehow magically the world will come along, even though we know that the emissions in China are, are skyrocketing. Isn't it great then that we have something like the European Union, we've got you know, 500 million people together, we can centralize our policies and really make a difference? <laughs> well, it, it, would be, it would be great if they were, they were willing to actually tackle China. They, that's what they need to do. Like Trump, they need to be willing to negotiate hard with a China that's actually actively working to improve the, the, the lives of its citizens instead of just relying on free market ideologies and, and ideologies of borderlessness. Wouldn't you actually, when it comes to climate, don't you think of, it's not China that's the problem, it's more the US under Trump that has completely backtracked on, on climate commitments? It might be, it might be. But we have to act in, in a way that, that, that makes them come along, if we want to. If, if we want to, to, to make an impact on climate change, then we have to say our markets are not open to people who do not re, uh, reduce their emissions. And that, that would be the most, single most powerful thing that could be done about climate change in the world. And it would be good for workers here in the EU as well. Interesting. Um, getting onto some more, as, as our time runs out, I want to get us more concretely on the European Parliament election. Um, what's, what's, what's your hope that the Danish People's Party, together with Salvini and, and the AFD and their new, in their new grouping in the European Parliament, I mean, what, is, what is your hope for them and, and what they're going to accomplish? My hope is that they will achieve a massive reduction in immigration coming into the EU. I think uh, that moving together in this block is a it's a great way to uh, to secure uh, influence, and uh, and and combining our powers to to uh, to to reach sensible reduction in in migration. As I said earlier, eighty percent of the arrivals do not have any legal reason to be in the EU, and this needs to be brought down massively. So, so it's a almost a single issue grouping, I suppose. That's that's what it sounds like. But, I mean, isn't it interesting? Well, of course, there's the the the, the aspects of sovereignty as well. Mm. But this is my and and that's important yeah. too. But but immigration is is an yeah. existential threat to you. I think absolutely. I mean, I saw the uh, Danish People's Party advert presented to me on Facebook the other day, which was. Um, which is basically um, vote for vote for the Danish People's Party if you want less EU. Um, except the Danish People's Party is now not necessarily working to 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 bring down the the Europe, you know, to bring down the EU like it like it once did, or trying to undermine it. I mean, it's actually working within it now, don't you think? Has has so so the question is, has the Danish People's Party have have they changed their attitude towards the EU? Have they realised that actually they've 
they could make change if they work within the system. I think that's been the the strategy the whole time, actually. Uh, not so much to bring it down, burning, crashing, uh, destructively like hap- that, like what has happened in in the UK, but um, but to reduce the the overbearing influence of Brussels for now, and asking for a referendum, at least asking the Danish people if they want to be in this project that has morphed so much from what we entered into. Yeah, that's that's a, that was the, that was one of the last points I wanted to get onto because actually, you in that infamous Sean article, you, you you write that Denmark was lured into the joining the EU on the promise that the project was just about trade, and that the EU wasn't going to develop into a political union that would re- result in a loss of sovereignty. I find that very interesting because it's very similar to what the Conservatives in the UK say. In fact, almost word to word, you could say that the the Eurosceptic Tories say exactly that. Yeah, it's um, true. <laughs> But don't you think it's impossible to to align standards and 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 create this cooperation without a political mandate? And as a result, you're going to lose some sovereignty along the way. Of course, you're going to lose some sovereignty along the way. But this this has been like a, a, a snowball, just gaining more and more mass and gaining more and more influence. And the way that it's been done legally, the the EU court has just it's just said every time uh, a specific uh, case has come up where it, it could be doubted whether th- they had the authority to do something, they just said, of course we do. Of course we have the authority here. And they just gobbled up more and more influence that, is, that had never been legally given to them. And, and this is a huge issue. They're bringing, it, they're bringing uh, a, bigger and, a bigger and bigger political system in by the back door. And it's it's not the way that nations are, and peoples are not going to respect this. I was talking to a representative from the think tank uh, Europa, Think Europe, yeah. and and I asked her, is it really the case that that people within the European Parliament are actively working to create a federalized Europe? And she's like, no. I mean, really, realistically, this 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 federalized Europe is a is a bogeyman brought up by 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 parties on the right wing. I mean, do you agree with that? Do you think that there are that there is a vision within the European Commission or within certain sectors of the European Parliament to do away with with national sovereignty entirely? National sovereignty entirely? I don't think so. Uh, we we have even municipalities here in Denmark, but but they can be more or less powerful. But and in the EU uh, treaties, there are. Uh, there are examples of of, of uh, texts mentioning ever increasing integration between the countries. That is uh, that needs to go. Uh, this is this is this is a bad principle. We 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 cannot have a, a, a steady slope of 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 more and more integration and and think that this is going to uh, turn out in a in a good way. Whether you call it the federal a federation or not uh, is. Is, is irrevel- irrelevant to me because the main point is that people still want to have their countries and control their own destinies. The Danish Debate is a new podcast about Danish society and politics. It's produced by Mother Tongue Media, a home for English language podcasts in Denmark. Remember, we've also got a fantastic new podcast about arts, culture, and ideas in Denmark. It's called Archipelago. And it's hosted by James Clasper, an English journalist based here in Copenhagen who's written for heavyweights such as the New York Times, The Guardian, and The Financial Times too. Go check it out. It's really great. James and I believe there's a space for high-quality English-language journalism and storytelling here in Denmark, especially in podcasting. 
And that's what we're trying to do here with the Danish Debate in Archipelago. Please visit mothertongue.dk to find out more. In fact, if you like this episode, please take a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts or mention it on Twitter, tagging the Danish Debate or Archipelago. Reviews and shares on social media will really help more people find us and... Uh, That's what it's all about. This episode was written, edited and produced by me, Peter Stanners, and published by Mother Tongue Media. See you next time.